parents are pretty frustrated. They didn't sign up to be homeschooling children. And um, some of them are not technologically savvy. And some of them don't have home situations with uh, the appropriate space for not only one child on a computer, but two children. You know, you need distinct spaces so you're not on top of each other. Um, kids seem to get more tired on the computer, is what I'm hearing. And then it's just hard to pay attention. You know, they get distracted easily. They need breaks more often. And then for parents, it's always a struggle to get them back on the computer. Are you new to working from home? Maybe you're figuring out how to manage a distributed team. Are you homeschooling your kids while trying to get something, anything else done? You've come to the right place. Work Life at Home talks with both newbies and experts as we explore the tools, tips, and techniques that will help you make the most of this new way of working. I'm Josh Freeman. Welcome home. For almost two decades, my guest Linda Greenberg has served as Executive Director of the Santa Monica Education Foundation. And for another seven years before that, she was the volunteer president of the organization. During that time, she's raised millions to help fund academic and arts support for a district whose schools are ranked among the top in the nation. She believes that all students should have access to a quality education, no matter what their economic status is. And she and her staff work hard to make that happen. Linda is phenomenally active in the community co-chairing a wide range of committees that serve the city, the arts, and education in general. And she serves on the State Board of the California Consortium for Education Foundations. She co-founded CEPS, the Community for Excellent Public Schools, to build financial support for public education. Their work resulted in a long-term agreement with the City of Santa Monica that provides more than $12 million annually to the school system. Suffice to say, Linda puts her heart into her work and manages to get hundreds of others to find room in their hearts to help. Linda, welcome to Work Life at Home. Thank you, Josh. I'm very happy to be here. I'm happy that you are here. So let's talk about your unique position for a second. Because you head this education foundation, you are in touch with parents, teachers, and administrators from the district. And you're sort of at the hub of the education system in a way. So I'm guessing that you have some insight into what everyone's concerns are right now, and maybe even a sense of how those things overlap and where they diverge. So I'd love to start with just getting your take on what the heck is going on in the school system right now, <laughs> and, and what you're hearing from parents and how they're, you know, what are their concerns and how are they taking this? And what's um, happening, I guess? I have to ask you that too. Well, this pandemic, which started, what, mid-March mid last year, has really shaken everybody, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's not just our community. It's all over the country. It's all over the world. But in our community, I have spent a lot of time, as you mentioned, talking to parents, also talking to administrators, talking to teacher union presidents, um, 
Yeah, I've been t- I've been talking since last March because you can't see anybody. So I get on the phone and I call people. Yeah. Um, last spring, when this happened, the Board of Education decided that they were going to hold kids' grades harmless, meaning you could do better if you worked hard, but you weren't going to do worse than your grade you had at mid-March. And for better or worse, that was the decision. And honestly, um, a lot of kids seemed to check out. Uh, They weren't that motivated. They'd already done well in school, and they knew they were not going to, uh, their grades were not going to suffer. So that was a problem that none of us anticipated. And um, it's something that will be rectified as we start the school year this year. Actually, a lot's going to change this year. Um, The teachers, I think the pandemic caught everybody off guard. We went from um, a model of teaching that was in person that everybody was comfortable with to having to teach online. You know, distance learning was new and it's taken some time to get used to it. That all summer, I know that the district has been working with teachers who did really well with distance learning, and they have been gearing up and ready to teach others so that when school does begin on August 24th, uh, more of our teachers will be ready. Are there areas, are there academic areas that seem like they've been much more successful with distance learning? Well, it's interesting because when you talk to people about last spring, and that's really all we have to look at at this point, the comments, while many people were not happy with it, there were many cases where kids were learning, were actively engaged with their teachers, and it didn't matter the subject. They were with their class on the computer learning. Mm -hmm. The problem is that I heard that less often than, um, you know, the the comments about their kids were only learning little bits. They were only getting together in for a little amount of time. And I, I wouldn't say it was dependent on the subject, to be honest. Clearly, there are some things harder to do than others on the computer. Mm-hmm. Um, but since last spring, I think there are people trying to figure out those more difficult things uh, that really need in-person contact versus just being on Zoom. So I I can't really say that it is dependent on the subject. So what do you think about about the teaching style or what like what are they learning? I'm just I'm really curious to know how uh, people have been doing it. The ones who have been effective. How have they been effective? What do you know about that? I know that they are exhausted and that's probably why they are effective. (laughs) No, seriously, because they, they uh, teach their class as if they were in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Okay. But clearly they can't see everybody. Uh, Some kids don't put their uh, cameras on. So you see the name, but you don't know if they're engaged or not. Right. Um, And, but they teach it anyway. And they do their best to ask questions and get kids to have dialogue. And um, the truth is, since it's harder to do on the computer hour after hour after hour, uh, once again, they are working way into the night, uh, even more so than when, I mean, teachers always don't end their day at three o'clock. Let's be honest. They work well into 
uh, after school in the evening hours, but now the hours are going way late, 10, 11, midnight, because mm. it takes that much time to figure out who's engaged, who's doing the work, who's not doing the work. Are they being effective? It's just more complicated, Josh. Sure. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, you know, it's funny because if you're not in the profession of teaching, I think you think it's like a webinar or something. And it has this, you have this idea of like, well, they're just going to kind of speak to the crowd and then it'll be over, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and that's so not how it works. And especially at the lower levels, but I mean, even in high school, it doesn't work that way. And even good college courses don't work that way. Right. So you, you don't realize all of the, like the concern that the teachers have about the individual kids who are in their classes and trying to make an, you know, an impact on them and on them and keeping them engaged and getting them involved. And this must be really difficult. Yeah. And when you're part of a class, you're kind of part of a team and in person, uh, there's a social aspect to it um, that is definitely missing on the computer yeah. Yeah. and they're not building the relationships that they were when they were in the classroom, not with the teacher, not with their classmates. And school is about really a lot more than just like filling kids' heads with information. That the whole process of going to school is is. is really teaching them to be social and teaching them to interact and teaching them to ask questions and think. And what are you hearing from parents specifically about all this? Parents are pretty frustrated. They yeah. didn't sign up to be homeschooling children. And um, some of them are not technologically savvy. Right. And uh, even some of them don't have home situations with uh, the appropriate space for not only one child on a computer, but two children. You know, you need distinct spaces so you're not on top of each other. Right. Um, some homes allow for that. Some homes do not. Um, Kids seem to get more tired on the computer is what I'm hearing. Um, And then it's just hard to um, pay attention. You know, they get distracted easily. Mm -hmm. They need breaks more often. And then for parents, it's always a struggle to get them back on the computer. Sure. Well, adults have the same problem with Zoom calls, (laughs) right? (laughs) At a certain point, just can't take it anymore. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm hopeful that the schedule that we have uh, coming to us, we don't know what that is yet. The teachers are negotiating actually this week. Wow. Um, I'm hopeful that there is plenty of in-person, not in-person, but um, they call it synchronous learning, where the teacher is on the computer seeing the students and the students are seeing the teacher and they're interacting. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of synchronous learning with breaks in between, uh, to, like a break to go do a project, come back and share the project so that there, it's a little more than just sitting in front of the screen for four or five hours. It's just a whole new way of having to do this. And hopefully it'll be over at some point. But, uh, but, but figuring out a completely different way to educate kids is not something you can do overnight. And if the expectation is that, well, the teachers just better get it together. You know, it's like that is I've, not going to happen that fast. I would listen, imagine. I've heard that from a lot of parents that are were very upset. And, you know, there's so many examples I could tell you. Some people have taken their kids out to go to private school. 
Others are hiring tutors to come work with their child or their children or their children and neighbors um, so that the parents don't have to do it. Um, Those without the means to do that, you know, it creates an equity problem for our kids. Mm -hmm. It's complicated. Yeah, really complicated. And and there is a you know, it's an it's an interesting district in that. People think, I, I think people think of Santa Monica as being this jewel by the sea that's full of rich people. Absolutely. And definitely there is that. I mean, there that's part of it. But there's also a really large community of working class kids. There's, a, there's homeless kids. There's all sorts of people in the district. And, uh, you know, having this idea that like, okay, there, some of them are, are pulling their kids out and sending them to private school. That is not an option for a lot of kids. And what's... What are you hearing about that? And also, what is the Ed Foundation thinking about that and thinking about doing about that? So I've been approached. I mean, let's start with this. The district is very committed to equity for all students. Okay, that's why uh, seven, eight years ago, they changed the fundraising structure in our school district to one of a centralized fundraising model. In prior years, uh, PTAs and booster groups were the ones that funded the enrichment and all of the extras. And in that scenario, some kids had, um, some schools were able to raise a lot of money and give their kids all sorts of programs. And other schools had just what the state and the district provided. So that inequity of programming led to uh, the board policy uh, for centralized fundraising. So now we're in a situation where, once again, the equity is going to become an issue. Um, I will say that the district did a great job last spring in making sure that they provided all kids who didn't have computer access with Chromebooks and iPads, depending on the grade level. Um, They made sure that they had uh, they created hotspots and that the kids had computer access And the other thing the district did, we have 25% of our uh, families, or let me say that we have 25% of our students who are on free and reduced lunch. Mm -hmm. And that kind of relates to what you said about people thinking Santa Monica is uh, a wealthy jewel by the sea. Um, They don't realize that we have pockets of um, non-wealth in the city. And so they spent Uh, They have been feeding breakfast and lunch to those free and reduced lunch kids since March, and they continued it through the summer, and they will continue it when school starts. Um, We need to be able to do that because we can't have our kids and their families hungry. So that's been a big focus of the district. You know, uh, they had to make sure that kids had computer access, and they had to make sure that kids were being fed. Yeah. So now that we are about to start school and we still don't know the details of what the school day is going to look like, because last spring was disappointing for a lot of parents, as I said, these pods, these learning pods are starting to become a thing. And um, ever since that conversation started, I've been getting calls from parents saying, well, what about kids that can't afford to do that? And what is the Ed Foundation going to do? So I am in the process of working with our school board members and the administration to find out whether there are um, local control 
funds or um, Title I funding that can be used or redirected for the purpose of additional tutoring for the students that need it, uh, but can't afford to pay for it on their own. Um, we know that if need be, we could do a fundraising drive for something like that. But I'm also working um, with some outside nonprofit agencies and for-profit agencies that provide tutoring services to see, to put get around a table, put our heads together and see what they can do to help. So that's in progress right now, but it is a concern that's on a lot of people's minds, parents and district people as well. God, wow. What do you hear from the district and the administrators, particularly, who are sort of trying to navigate how to set this up programmatically, how to set this up financially? Um, I'm, I'm thinking we've got the point of view of the parents, we've got the point of view of the teachers. What's the, what's the point of view, in, as far as you know, of the district and the employees and people like that who have to sort of run everything? Well, it's hard to run things, new things, when you don't have the money to do it. And despite what people think about Santa Monica and about the Santa Monica Malibu Unified School District, there's no directive from the federal government or the state. There's no extra funding coming in. I Prior, when I spoke about feeding kids and getting computers to kids, there's no budget coming from anywhere for that. So the district had to use what funds it has for that. And therefore it leaves very little for other things, you know, and we all hope that while we are starting the school year in a remote set, uh, situation, we do hope that at some point we get to return to school, even if it is a hybrid model or everybody gets to come back to school, but there's so many protocols and the district really has to follow the um, LA County Department of Health's directives on all of it from, sure. you know, personal safety equipment to cleaning protocols. It's just, you know, they, they don't get to just make the decision. They are obligated to follow the guidelines from the health department and from the governor. So it becomes in a way, the difference between running a school and running a hospital, mm -hmm. you know, in terms mm -hmm. of the, I mean, that kind of sanitation level that's required when you have so many hundreds of bodies in one place. I mean, I can imagine it's, it's and challenging. You know a lot. I mean, we are learning more and more about the virus, you know, as time goes by, but we have a lot of teachers that are not comfortable. They're in an age uh, range that they might be at risk or they have health problems mm -hmm. um, that put them at a greater risk. And they're not that excited about coming back in person. Sure. Um, and they are really, really taking advantage of the training that um, will be happening. The I think it's six days of training before school starts. Some of them, don't get me wrong, probably more than I even know, have been trying to figure this out over the summer because they knew this might be a possibility. But they definitely are uh, working hard now to get ready for the start of school. How does the administration administer a school when they can't physically go into the school? Are they are all of the administrative people working from home as well right now? They have to be right. Most of them. I think our superintendent goes into the, his office sometimes, but he's pretty much uh, one of few people, very few people in the building. They are all working. Most of them are working from home. 
and they are on Zoom and on phone, on the phone and all, you know, whatever way they can, but they are mostly Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting. So the whole thing is taking place virtually. All of it. You know, and it, it's, it's an interesting thing to think of a facility. I mean, a school is a big facility, right? With lots and lots of moving parts, physical parts, you know, janitorial services and maintenance mm-hmm. services and, mm-hmm. you know, physical, I don't even know what's involved, you know, right. uh, uh, internet services and all of that. And you'd think there has to, to run it, you have to have a physical presence. And so they're imagining this from their homes, basically, and trying to sort of figure out how to make this work without having a physical contact. A lot of them are, but a lot of the key administrators, like there's a few people in the fiscal department, there's a few people um, in the admin section, you know, the superintendents there, there's a couple of his assistant soups that are there, but they don't, some of them go in, some of them work from home, uh, they might change it up during the week, but you know, there's very, I've, I've driven to my office a couple of times. I've been working remotely since last March and, mm-hmm. you know, I might see eight cars in the driveway. I mean, in the parking lot versus, you know, 70 cars. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and not being there. able to find a space. Right. And as a result of that, I mean, you know, things take longer. So for example, you know, people need, let's just talk about the fiscal department, their records are at the district. Not everything is digitized and not everything is accessible. And there are protocols around who can come back to the district office and when and how. So Mm -hmm. even though you might be someone trying to do your job, you might not be allowed or you might only be allowed to be in the district, you know, twice a week during these times. So therefore, it slows things down a bit. Yeah. But yeah. everybody's really doing the best they can. Of course. Yeah. It's stressful. Yeah. I mean, everybody's, it's all goodwill. It's all everybody trying to just figure out a way to manage this and get through it and, and all of that. And that leads me to uh, your actual organization and your actual setup. So you haven't been in since March, as you just right. said. And uh, I know that you've got one person, Yolanda, who shows up at the office to just be there somehow. Right. Um, but everybody else is working from home everybody and you have is. a nonprofit and you have to raise money in this environment. And it's a pretty <laughs> challenging situation. So let's start with let's talk about you for a second. Personally, you're obviously working at home. How was that for you and how did you how did you make that transition and you know, what was working, what wasn't? It, we've all become great problem solvers. That's what I've decided. <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah. you know, the first thing I did um, was make sure I was able to take my computer from the office and bring it to the house. Yeah. And then I had to find a place in my house that would become my office. Um, for me, it's in my den, which is kind of smack in the middle. I can see my kitchen and my di- uh, eating area from here. Um, it's not the most private place. Uh, because I uh, care for my mom, who's 88 uh, with early dementia. And uh, since since the pandemic, her caretaker has not been able to come to the house. So oh, of course. I'm kind of ha- have a dual job. And uh, fortunately, my mom is a happy dementia patient. And she 
um, likes to watch the news, so she comes out for meals uh, and uh, only needs help occasionally. Um, but I, I of course, am the one preparing the meals and you know making sure she's okay. Yeah. Um, but I have uh, no kids at home anymore, so they, they're not a distraction. But I have two cats and a dog, and you know there are certain days, like I know on Wednesday mornings at ten o'clock, I can't, I can't be on a Zoom because my dog will bark for the entire 30 minutes my gardener <laughs> and his crew are here because she's protecting our house and it's her job to bark and of no course. matter what I do <laughs> that's right. happening and my cats have decided you know it's funny all those years I was at the office and not here um, I did I didn't realize how affectionate those cats are but they want to be right on right next to me I actually have a chair next to my office chair uh, at the computer because they want to sit right here and there are two cats. So one cat sits on a chair and the other cat sits on my desk on all my papers, of knocks course. things off all the time. And, you know, we just kind of work, work around the cats, but I, uh, you know, it's challenging. I, I think I've got a system that works. And honestly, I have a fabulous staff that is so committed to doing what they can um, that we we have originally we had staff meetings every day because we were trying to figure this out. Yeah, sure. And we need in our job, we're always doing one thing and planning for the next thing at the same time. So we had meetings daily. Then we switched after a couple of months, literally a couple of months, because a lot of the, that first in, initial time, I was really wanting to check in on them and make sure they were doing okay. So after those first time uh, we went to twice a week staff meetings and we still have twice a week staff meetings. We have them on Mondays and we have them on Thursdays. And it's been so helpful because as I said, we have to keep things moving and right. everybody is at home. Therefore, everybody has distractions. Two, uh, three of my staff members have kids. Um, you know, it, there's constant distraction, whether you have kids or not. So it's important for me in order to manage and monitor what my staff is doing and to make sure that all of the things we've got on our plate keep moving forward to have those check-ins. So everybody gets very tolerant of everybody else's distractions, I would assume. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. So no surprise about the cats or right. the kids coming into the Zoom call or any of yep. that stuff. That's just par for the course these days. Right. That's yeah. right. So, which I think is actually kind of interesting that people don't have as much pretense, you know, in their uh -huh. interactions, their business interactions, True. but there's a lot of casualness going on here and a lot of understanding of people's humanity. And I think maybe that's one of the nice things that's come out of this is that, that feeling of getting to see people be real, you know, in their interactions. Definitely. And you, in a way you're learning more about people and who they are and what their life is about during this pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you have to, one of your activities I know has to be raising money during all of this. And you had a big wine auction, uh, which normally would be a live event, a party, dancing, uh, slideshows and lots of live competition for outbidding each other for auctions. And all of that disappeared really quickly. And you had to put together a virtual event. So let's talk about how you did that. 
we only had weeks to decide literally <laughs> I I mean, this was mid-march <laughs> right and our event was early may so yeah. and people all around us other nonprofits and groups were canceling events but for us that is a big fundraiser and we knew if we canceled we weren't going to have the money we needed for this year's programs so we made the decision to do a live online auction. We have a wonderful um, auctioneer that we've used for the uh, past several years. Mm -hmm. And he clearly had to figure out what he was going to do for an income. So he uh, pivoted very quickly from being an auctioneer at live events to doing uh I won't call it a virtual event. He calls it a live online auction at, or a live online event. And uh, we used him and his company to um, produce an event for us that had as many of the elements that we did in person as possible. Clearly, we couldn't do all of them. But I have to say, I thought it was pretty terrific. And the comments I got from the community, like, some people were even saying that was so engaging. I didn't want it to end. Like yeah. I'm and other people were saying, I'm surprised I went to the auction and thought it was going to not be great. And I was surprised at how much fun I had. Yep. And we, we made sure we knew that the auction, the whole two hours before the inside portion of the event is a very social um, an engaging part of it. And we knew you can't have that on the computer. So we did our best to replicate that by asking some of our, well, all of our board and our wine auction board, uh, but also some of our top donors um, to reach out to their networks and have a pre-party on Zoom. Oh, that's good. And, yeah. And, Didn't and, know that. and I have to tell you, people's creativity really came out. Some people, um, they, they made up their guest list. They invited people and they decided we're going to all in, um, take in dinner from the same place and eat from the same restaurant and, you know, go get bottles of wine so that we're kind of doing the same thing. And that's going to be what we're going to do. Other people, um, as the host, they created little, uh, snack bags for their guests and drop them off at their doors oh, wow. uh, an hour before. And the, that could include um, a smaller bottle of wine, some cheese, chocolate, nuts, that sort of thing. Um, other people um, did an actual virtual wine tasting with a wine tasting company beforehand. Mm -hmm. okay, that's what they did before the wine auction. And then they came to the wine auction together. So it worked really, really well because people were having fun. Um, at that point, I don't think there was Zoom fatigue. Uh, people were just learning about Zoom and it was kind of fun and they got to see their friends and uh, it made it a more of a social event uh, than normally would have been, you know, possible on, on just doing an event on the computer. So I was really, really happy about that. And everybody stepped up. Um, we, as I said, there were certain components of the auction that we couldn't uh, count on, like ticket sales or as many live auction items. But another thing we did, which I'm so proud of our community for stepping up, we basically, again, let our community know that normally when we have this event, we count on our businesses and our hotels to donate 
give us gift cards, give us experiences, uh, give us hotel night stays. And that wasn't possible this year. They were all hurting. So we asked um, everybody in the community to um, go ahead and buy a gift card uh, for a restaurant or a hotel or an experience and donate it to us. And that way they would be helping their favorite businesses and helping the kids at the same time. And the outpouring was amazing. We got a lot. I mean, we were able to have hundreds of items in our auction as a result of our community's generosity. And that was just so heartwarming for us. I was wondering where those all came from. Yeah, <laughs> and, and people that didn't want That's to go great. ahead and buy, but said, look, I'll give you additional funding. Here's some money, go buy what you need. That was really helpful too. Mm-hmm. Your costs were, I assume, because you didn't have a live event, you didn't know there's no, you know, there's no physical uh, catering, there's no party set up, there's no staff, all of that. I assume that the cost was substantially lower than say last year. And so I also assume you didn't raise as much in donations as last year, but that maybe you netted quite a lot of money. Did that work? You are right. Our costs were not as high, but let me be really um, clear about one thing. We have a tremendous partner in the Fairmont Miramar Hotel and Bungalows. Mm -hmm. They actually donate the event to us Uh with a very few costs involved that they can't, but um, for the most part, they do. Our biggest expenses, to be honest with that event, are the rentals and the audio equipment that we have to bring into the hotel when we do the live event. So there was a big savings there. I'm really proud to say that we raised, we netted $148,000. And that was huge. That's great. Yeah, Yeah. in this environment. It's, yeah. it's amazing to be able to pull and that can off I tell in you, a night. Josh, I want to tell you about the most, one of the most fun pieces of the event, because usually we have a live student performance of some sort uh, as part of the inside event right before the auction uh, to remind people of what impact their donations have on our students. And this year we had invited the Lincoln Middle School students to, uh, there were three students who performed Hakuna Matata. Um, I had seen them at Lincoln when they did the play live and they were ready to come and do a a live song, Hakuna Matata, in front of all of our 400 guests. Well, clearly they couldn't do that. So we asked them to uh, do parts of it from home. And we had a wonderful, Peter Chaikin is a wonderful, wonderful uh, parent alumni parent. His kids went through our system. Um, His wife, Jody Brooks, used to be the president of the Ed Foundation many years ago. Um, I know them both so well. And I called up Peter and said, I know you do something with sound. Can you help me? (laughs) Uh Of course, Peter does way more than just something with sound. But um, I told him what I wanted to do. And he was amazing. He worked with our theater director, Chad Shepner. He worked with the three kids. He got them. He told them exactly what he needed them to do from home. We had given him the video of the real play when it Uh, was at Lincoln Middle School, and he had the kids singing the songs from home. Um, uh, Chad worked with them to make sure they were in the right positions, facing the right direction, because what he did is he pieced together the students uh, at home and 
the show in in person at Lincoln. And so it was almost seamless and it was so amazing. I'm I'm so proud of that piece and the work that Peter did uh, to make that such a success. People were raving about that part of the auction. That's and awesome. It did its magic. Uh, right after we showed that, we did a uh, what they call a paddle raise, which is where our guests and the community just donate to help, you know, raise money to enrich the programs. And a lot of people stepped up and uh, donated. So that was really terrific. Fantastic. Wow. Uh, you know, I'm trying to imagine who's listening to this, and I'm mm-hmm. hoping that it's a combination of people who are interested in, you know, how do you, how do you run an organization while you're working from home? How do you raise money while you're working from home? How do you, you know, how do you deal with your children, do homeschooling, do distance learning teachers? I'm hoping we get a bunch of different, different uh, points of view, but I, I would love to hear if you have any sort of uh, request or advice for parents in particular about how to, sort of think about or survive the next few months or who knows, you know, half a year, a year, whatever this turns out to be of dealing with having to have their kids do distance learning and sort of finding their way through this new process of learning that we're going through. I think my advice would be breathe. (laughs) You know, I really mean that people are very stressed out. As I mentioned, I talk to a lot. I make a lot of phone calls and I talk to, oh, goodness, businesses and parents and um, community members. And everybody's worried about a lot of things. You know, one of the things the Ed Foundation funds is a, a mindfulness program at our middle schools. And if we ever needed mindfulness, it's now. Um, It teaches you to de-stress, all right? It teaches you to, like I say, breathe, take a minute, get your heart rate down. You know, it puts you in a better place to deal with whatever it is you have to deal with. So for me, um, I think that knowing that we're all in this together, knowing that it's probably going to take a long time for things to change and we have to try to make the best of what we have and continually try to make it better. Um, I would just say, remember those things because you're not alone. Um, We are all in this together. And, um, you know, for me, I want people to reach out if there's any way they think that the Ed Foundation can help either me personally or the Ed Foundation. We clearly have a difficult job facing us, the Ed Foundation, we have to raise money during this time. And a lot of people um, are worried about their finances right now. Some people are just fine. Other people, it's tough. So we, whenever we fundraise, we ask everybody to consider making a donation. And we ask them to do whatever they can. You know, it doesn't matter what our annual ask is, For us, it's more important that everybody do something. Um, Too often, people with less means think, oh, I'll let the rich people take care of that. Or, you know, somebody, I don't have a lot of money. Um, Somebody else can do it. And truthfully, uh, when I look at our parent participation, we're at about 50%, just under 50%. And there's another 50% out there um, that really could do something. 
And for me, it doesn't matter if it's $5 or $20 or $50 or whatever. Uh, people of means are continuing to give. And honestly, they're being really generous during this particular time, especially. Mm-hmm. They realize that some people have lost their jobs. Some people have uh, been furloughed, that people without as much as much means are worried. And so those people have stepped up to do more. Um, and we see that in in our um, trends when we look at how we did from last spring through uh, the end of the school year. Fewer people are giving, but those that were were giving a little more. So I guess, you know, selfishly, uh, but on behalf of our kids, I would ask anybody in the community um, to do whatever they can, because we need all of us working together to make sure that we're providing our kids with the essential programs and staff that will make their school experience the best it can be. And where should they check in to find you to be able to get involved? Well, our website is smedfoundation.org. And on Facebook, we're smedfoundation. And on Twitter, we're at smedfdn. Perfect. Linda, thank you. This has been just a joy as always. It's great to talk to you. And I really, really appreciate your candor and the insight that you've given everybody, including me into how this all works and how we can hopefully, you know, pull together to make a difference and get through it with some style and some success. Well, Josh, I actually want to thank you because, you know, we have many corporate heroes um, and Free Associates has been our hero for Many, many years, many, I I can't, 10, 15, I don't know, Josh, you have been incredibly generous. I know um, you had kids in the schools, uh, but you, a lot of people, when their kids graduate, they walk away and you didn't. And you and your team are so talented. You know, I talked about the wine auction and how we did it this year, but what people don't know is that we have done the wine auction for five years now. That event and every other event we've done, you and your team are creating all of the collateral for us. You create the designs for our our letters that go out asking parents for money. You create the posters that show up at all of our school sites, the banners that show up at our school sites, the corporate hero banners that we have around town. You have generously given your time and talent to our children in this district for years and you continue to do so. And I'm just so grateful to you and free associates for doing that. Thank you. Thank you. I'm just, if you could see me, I'm blushing. I appreciate (laughs) it. Aside from you being such a (laughs) wonderful person to work with. I really mean that you are talk about humanity. You, you have your heart in the right place all the time. And that means so much. So thank you, Josh. Well, thank you too. I'll talk to you soon. I'm sure. sure. (laughs) Looking forward to it. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Well, that's it for now. If you're new to working from home, you might want to check out worklifeathome.com where you'll find articles, show notes, and best of all, a community where you can ask questions and get some answers from people who've been doing this a while. 
We'd love to see you there. And I would be thrilled to hear what you think and find out who else you'd like to hear from on the show. You can email me at josh at worklifeathome.com. If you're enjoying Work Life at Home, please do let your friends and coworkers know so they can subscribe. Thank you for listening. We'll be back soon.